0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Health Tech Innovation 2024-25. I'm your host Arvind Serene, the CEO and Chairman of Copper Digital. Today we have the pleasure of hosting a remarkable individual who is transforming lives through harmonious blend of psychology and spirituality. Imagine a space where traditional therapy meets holistic practices, creating a journey of self-discovery and personal growth. Based in Orange County, she seamlessly integrates evidence-based, systems-oriented, and holistic therapeutic approaches. Drawing from her background in clinical psychology and family therapy, she weaves in Eastern and Western practices to empower her clients to overcome challenges with confidence and calmness. So folks, get ready for an insightful conversation as we welcome our distinguished guest, Dr. Ladi Bustani, the founder of Soul Therapy and Coaching. Welcome, Dr. Ladi. Thank you for being here with us.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Wonderful. Well, this is so amazing because this is my favorite topic. Mental health is something that really needs a lot of support and a lot of uh, advancement. So I am so glad to be having this conversation and learning from you. Now, First things first, can you share with us what inspired you to pursue a career in clinical psychology and how this passion led to beginning of soul therapy and coaching?
1: Yeah, um, I was always interested in understanding human behaviors and was naturally curious to learn about people. When you said it's very important, mental health, it's a very, very important issue And I was just growing up, um, I would say I had a pretty high emotional intelligence, which would help me notice um, feelings and emotions in the room quicker than others, I would say. And naturally, I was gravitating towards those individuals, wanted to naturally make them feel better. It wasn't that I had all the tools or answers, but I was curious about human behaviors, about emotions and um, their thought process, and naturally wanted to help them. So that's how the startup, you know, I guess the seed started to plant in me. And I moved to the United States when I was in high school, I was um, 15 years old. And I started sophomore year in high school here, I moved from Iran, I I was born here. But then I went back to Iran, I grew up in Tehran, and then uh, moved to US. And I remember uh, my first year, I realized that they offer AP classes. And um, these are like college level courses that um, you could take to take college credit and they had a course in psychology. So I decided to sign up for that class. I love the class. I love the instructor and I decided to um, become a clinical psychologist and believe it or not, I did not change my mind since then.
0: Wow.
1: Um, Yes.
0: (laughs) This is amazing. So at 15, you stumbled upon a class in psychology, and then you never look back. And this is so fascinating because you talk about growing up, you know, you're observing people with high emotional intelligence. I feel like I definitely had some similar experiences where I would also think about, especially when I came in a similar way, when I was younger, I came here, I was born in New Delhi, India, and I came here and it was so fascinating. But anyways, that's off topic, but this is super interesting. And I can Totally relate to how understanding why people do what they do. I mean, humans are really, really amazing as well as weird. So, I mean, why people do what they do—it's a mystery. But let's, um, you know, make sure that we understand soul therapy and coaching. So, yeah, in soul therapy and coaching. What gap in mental health care? Mental health care. Did you identify that inspired this unique approach or? Could you elaborate on how soul therapy differs from the traditional therapeutic approaches?
1: Absolutely. Um, The idea of soul therapy and um, coaching um, came to my mind uh, way before the COVID-19 pandemic, which was the normalization of the telehealth uh, movement, I would say was around 2017, 2018 that I thought about virtual private practice where um, telehealth services can be offered to more individuals than people that are going to only be able to access, you know, physical locations. And I was thinking that I wanted to work with people not only within my five miles or 10 miles or 20 miles radius of my um, physical office locations, I wanted to be able to see um, more people. And um, provide my services to people that going to um, physical offices might not be accessible nor convenient. You know, at this point, I have um, patients that or clients that have little ones that they see me when their babies are taking naps. Or I have clients that have very busy scheduled back-to-back meetings that are able to squeeze, you know, their therapy sessions in between meetings. They don't need to be worried about commuting, commuting to You know, offices and um, come back. So they are going to be saving a lot more time. And the idea of soul therapy and coaching was I wanted to provide services to a group of people that um, receiving services is not, was not a normal thing to do. You know, these are a group of people that went to really good school, prestigious schools, are highly functional. They have really nice jobs. They have, You know family everything but they are unhappy they're experiencing anxiety they're experiencing um, depression symptoms they are having family problems relationship issues and um, i wanted to create a space for these group of people to know it's okay to ask for help and i remember personally when i was um, at ucla doing my undergraduate experiences I was experiencing um, anxiety. And I remember my brother told me that, you know, you need to go talk to someone. And for me, that was just very difficult to understand that I need to ask for help. And I remember the therapists spend a good session or two normalizing that it's okay to ask for help. You don't need to know at all. And so that's how the idea of soul therapy came to my mind based on the experiences I personally had and wanted to create a same space for individuals that also can benefit from it. As you know, um, you know, with Eastern cultures and also with Western cultures as well, there is a lot of um, taboo and stigma around asking for help. So I wanted to um, normalize that and make sure uh, my clients are going to feel safe to um, not experience any judgments and, and be able to ask for help.
0: Got it. Got it. Well, very interesting. That's, that's super cool. So in the process of establishing and growing Soul Therapy and coaching, were there any specific challenges or obstacles that stood out? And how did you navigate through them to shape your practice into what it is today?
1: I think that's a wonderful question. And I would say um, cost can be one prohibitive barrier. Many therapists, um, at least the one in um, private practices, don't accept insurances because the reimbursements rates can be low, and despite the significant increase in demands, many therapists are vastly underpaid. So I just gonna put a um, statistics out there: the overall demand for psychologists will grow six um, percent through twenty thirty two, which is faster than average for all jobs. And um, I have with
0: AI coming in, huh?
1: I mean, that's the latest um, research or statistics out there as of March 2023. um, But I think, yeah, there's a lot of shortage. Um, I think another, um, another statistics out there is that 160 million Americans live in area with mental health professional shortages, which basically with over 8,000 more professionals needed to ensure an adequate supply. And um, and I think definitely AI is going to impact that as well, but there is a lot of need for um, providers out there to 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 help individuals. I personally work with insurance companies. I have been on many insurance panels, um, but when I started Soul Therapy and Coaching, I decided to not accept insurance for more, multiple reasons and several of them I already mentioned it. And when I was accepting insurance, there was a good... Um, waitlist, like two months to three months waitlist. And people who come for help are already in a need of urgent care. So usually it's not like the second you start feeling anxiety symptoms or depression symptoms or having relationship issues, you're not going to be like, okay, I'm going to talk to someone, I'm going to schedule an appointment. It's usually when the anxiety symptoms increase and you're experiencing panic attacks or the relationships is on the verge of divorce and you're like, okay, maybe I need to talk to someone. So it's just not welcoming when you are going to say that, great, you know, well, your insurance covers this provider, but guess what? There will be a good three months um, wait list or two months or even a month. So, with soul therapy and coaching, um, it's definitely more customized towards individuals can, um, can um, afford it. I do provide super bills which is another part of the insurance that will provide uh, as, as part of the reimbursements for out of network providers. But when they reach out to me uh, within 24 hours, there will be consultation sessions um, scheduled for them that is going to be complimentary to making sure that we are going to be a good fit, making sure they're going to be a good fit for telehealth um, services in general. And I think that's a lot more welcoming approach than saying yes but i'll see you in two months
0: yeah no i know and that's the same for even pcps i think i mean my own pcp that i've been associated with for years i mean i would say even a decade um fine he would squeeze me in like within a week or two but if it's a new patient then good luck getting an appointment for the next three months so and it seems like from what you're describing, it's very similar uh, across the board and all of the different healthcare. So, one thing's for sure we're never going to have enough therapists, qualified therapists, to take care of all of the population across the globe. Because not just the US, there are people, you know, even in developing countries like India and Iran, where they require therapy and we're going to get to it in a minute because, um, you know, about the stigma that's also associated with it. So, you know, for me, when I got better help uh, therapy, it changed my life drastically. I lost 25 pounds. I was wow. going to Virginia every day. Really? I did not take a single drink, any alcoholic drink. I mean, I was extremely focused. I was just loving it. And I did that for five months but then you know what I thought um I maybe don't need it and that was the wrong decision and I got off it and then there were certain challenges that came and this is last year but it was super interesting so my point is that everybody and I made a video on this on my channel as well even on my local channel in Hindi which talks about how everybody needs a therapist like everybody it's for, and, and I really like how you describe it's not just therapy, it's coaching as well. And that's how I would tell, you know, if I'm in a board meeting, I, you know, kind of just got um, second thoughts about saying, oh, I, I have a therapy session because everybody's going to be like, what's wrong, Arvin? Are you okay? Instead, I would say, I've got a coaching session. And that everybody would take, oh, okay, that that sounds good. That makes sense. But slowly I changed that and, you know, just would um, would tell exactly how it is so this is super interesting now in your experience how has the perception of mental health evolved over the years and how do you think technology has contributed to this shift of like you know from that stigma being associated to now everybody being very open to therapy and then associating it with high performance
1: um, a great question. The perception of mental health, um I, I think has evolved significantly over the years um with increased awareness, you know, understanding, reducing stigma around mental health issues. Um I'm gonna go over several factors that I believe it contributed to this shift, and definitely technology has played a crucial role in um, shaping the in the narrative, you know, Um, one of the, some of the key aspects, I would say, um, information access before in the past information on mental health was limited. I don't remember growing up, you know, my parents or someone saying like, Oh, I think so-and-so has depression, or I think this person was experiencing anxiety or, um, autism or, you know, the, the other diagnosis out there. So, mental health issues were often misunderstood or or stigmatized. But now with information access, with technology, it's definitely facilitated an easy access to information. People can learn about mental health. People can learn about symptoms, about um, available treatments out there. You know, Um, there are lots of resources, articles, um, mental health organizations, podcasts, like what you're doing um, brings a lot of awareness And uh, so definitely information access, Um, I believe um, online communities and supports are a lot more now before individuals with mental health challenges felt very isolated, you know, with limited opportunities to connect with other facing um, um, similar struggles. But now through social media, through different platforms, people are able to share their experiences, they are able to seek support, they're able to connect with others that they, um, they relate. And um, it definitely helped to reduce isolations. Also, you know, what soul therapy and coaching does and, med- men- and digital mental health services just in general, before it was very dif- difficult um, due to geographical barriers and other limited um, availabilities um, for prof- professionals to, to seek out and to reach out. But now technology has enabled the growth of telehealth services, making mental health support more accessible. There are a lot of more mobile apps out there that offers therapy and um, mental health resources that I think it's for sure um, beneficial. I recently saw an article that um, showed all the great apps for mental health in 2023 And there is basically apps for everything now, you know, for anxiety, for depression, for PTSD, for OCD, et cetera. So this is all um, extremely beneficial. But um, I think it's important to mention that with uh, technology having positive impacts, like everything else, um, you know, there are some negative impacts that I think it's important to be mindful of. I see technology as like a fire. You know, you don't want to be too close to it that you're going to get burned. At the same time, if you're too far away from it, you are not going to experience the warmth and the, the benefits of it as well. So finding that balance, I think it's um, important and, um, and, and it's very important to be mindful of it.
0: I love that technology is like fire. You know, I can't wait for that day where um, everyone across the globe could have their own personal therapist, um, you know, just by the way of having an app and that's personalized, That's that's got all of the data, that knows all your emails, your voicemails, your phone conversations, your, I mean, all of your records. And then, uh, you know, on that basis, it's able to give you that best, the most intelligent advice about scientifically, this is how you can maximize, you know, your positive experience or your happiness or, uh, you know, whatever other factors there might be, uh, self-efficacy or, um, you know, whatever the goal might be. It's uh, it's uh, super interesting. I can't wait to see, um, you know, or live in that time when that's possible and everybody's got their personal coach, their personal therapist, right in the palm of their hands.
1: Right. And I think you brought up a very good point that, you know, therapy is um, like mental fitness, you know, so you don't go work out and exercise. And then once you're fit and in shape, you're like, okay, I'm going to cancel that membership. It's part of your lifestyle. So when you were saying, you know, I used it for five minutes, but then when I was in a good place, it's all about um, fitness and maintaining that and I kind of see it as like um, hydrating your soul. You know, we drink water every single day to stay hydrated. Uh, we do certain things for our physical health. We will do certain things for our mental health. And I think uh, what you're saying—it's um, very important that having a therapist in your um, in your lifestyle—it's really, really important. Not just um, using it when it's needed. Kind of like you don't go to the gym when you're already overweight and you're struggling with. Uh, I mean, that's still a good thing to do that. But True. then, when you were able to overcome that those challenges, you want to continue that healthy lifestyle. So, same thing with um, mental health.
0: I agree with you. Yeah, I think this needs to be baked into the the lifestyle for sure. And then that's that's a good segue into my next question, which is, you know. Comparing the traditional counseling with, um, you know, the technology, I guess you know what we're talking about. So, with your expertise in applied psychology, how do you see the interaction of technology and traditional counseling methods in addressing the diverse needs of your clients?
1: It definitely brings increased accessibility. Technology allows for greater accessibility to mental health services again, clients who may be facing geographical or transportation barriers can now access counseling remotely. Um, Personally, in my private practice, I'm uh, located in Orange County, Southern California. Most of my clients, I would say 90% or more of them are actually located um, in San Francisco in Bay Area, working in tech companies. So um, being able to provide services for, you know, outside of my geographical locations, it's definitely um, it's due to technology. I also have see clients um, and have clients internationally that I work with. Um, I also think the convenience, you know, telepsychology provides convenience for clients who may be having busy schedules that when I transition from physical office locations to online, um, the rate of cancellations and no shows have significantly decrease because it's less challenging people can be having more flexibility in their schedule to be able to um attend their therapy sessions also i think um the diverse modalities technology enables the use of using different therapeutic modalities um such as um, video calls chat based counselings even um, virtual reality therapy which um helps therapists to tailor their approach to the preference and need of the individual clients. And I think now there are um, a lot more apps out there that can help um, therapists to track um, their clients' mood fluctuations, provide feedback on their specific behaviors. Um, These data can be valuable for therapists to make informed decisions and adjustment to treatment plans. Also, um, cultural sensitivity. You know, technology can aid um, in providing culturally sensitive interventions. Online platforms can offer resources, supports that consider the cultural backgrounds of the individuals, and makes it more inclusive um, mental health
0: care. Wow, got it. So, of course, then technology is not just telepsychology. It's not just, you know, being able to access your therapy sessions remotely, but it's also um, your ability to take certain notes on those devices and then make that data available or other variables and then make that data available. For somebody having a panic attack, I think it would be good to know the frequency, to log all those and different moods that they're in throughout the day. Um, So it, it just stretches far beyond and then you know comes AI, of course, that's gonna just right? totally change the game by even more, you know, um, uh, even further, um, making sure that you have personalized uh, care that's available for you. So that's uh, that's super interesting. Can you share a success story from your counseling practice where the use of evidence-based therapeutic approaches? resulted in a significant positive outcome for one of your clients?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember I was working with a client that um, location-wise, she was um, far away from my location and we were doing telehealth for a good, um, I would say, 11 months to a year. And she was suffering from extreme social anxiety. And for the listeners, um, the DSM diagnosis definition of social anxiety is basically persistent and intense fear of anxiety about social situations because you believe you may be judged negatively and embarrassed and uh, humiliated. And this patient of mine was um, experiencing extreme um, social anxiety, that it was even difficult for her to leave her house, Um, to go grocery shopping, just, you know, normal daily functionings was difficult for her. Luckily, she did have a job um, that was remote. So she was working uh, from home. She was a beautiful young lady that um, basically had no confidence in herself um, due to her upbringing trauma. So long story short, she did find me online. And that's when we started our work together. I use, um, as you said, evidence-based approach, um, cognitive behavioral therapy also in my practice. I use a lot of um, Western methods and Eastern methods, mindfulness activities, meditations. And um, the goal was to help her be able to slowly put herself out there. We had lots of failed attempts. Mm -hmm. I remember she wasn't driving, so she would get on to Uber or Lyft trying to go to the grocery store. Again, we started very, very small and then she would come back. She wasn't able to get out of the car. And, um, and through our work, through she was very dedicated. She would come to every single session. Um, she, she would do her homework. And then um, slowly she was able to um, put herself out there and um, to the point that she was able to even put herself on online dating Found a boyfriend. Um, it was during Christmas time that um, she wanted to visit um, the family across the country. She was able to do that. And um, she ended up going to um, sports games that she was very interested in, concerts. And, um, you know, if it wasn't because of technology and um, making therapy services accessible, I don't think she would be able to be where she is today. I remember in one of our last sessions, she told me that this was her first experience um, being in a non-judgmental space. And that brought hope in her and that helped her to um, know that she can create the same space for herself if she cognitively allows it. So um, again, I don't think if it wasn't because of telehealth services for someone like my client who struggled with extreme social anxiety was able to come to a therapy office and work with a the therapist.
0: And wow, that is so inspiring.
1: Yeah. So so um I think technology is gonna definitely help a lot of individuals out there that um traditional way of reaching out. It's not um possible.
0: Yeah. And and, and that's even without the AI, just the you know, basic telehealth, telepsychology. Right. Um, but Speaking of, given your focus on creating a safe and supportive environment, how do you envision AI contributing to the development of personalized mental health interventions that resonate with the diverse individuals and their unique needs?
1: Um the potential for AI to contribute to personalized mental health interventions, I believe is significant. AI can play a crucial role in tailoring interventions to individual needs by um, leveraging large data sets and advanced algorithms. Um, I think AI can contribute through personalized assessments Can analyze vast amount of data Um, which you touched based on it, to create personalized mental health assessments, which includes considering an individual's unique experiences or cultural backgrounds, you know, and try to um, understand um, their mental health status. I think AI can help significantly in treatment planning. It can assist um, providers in creating personalized treatment plans um, by considering various factors, such as their um, specific symptoms that they're experiencing, their lifestyle, you know, response to different interventions. I think that could lead to more effective and um, tailored therapeutic approaches. Also, we've talked about the continuous monitoring AI. will and I think already has the tools to continuously monitor individuals tracking their changes in their mental health over time, which could be significant. And um, also with the natural language processing, um, it can enhance communications in mental health interventions. Now we have the chatbots, the virtual assistants, which can engage in conversations, providing support, resources, coping strategies, while um, learning about the individual's um, communication styles. Also, um, I think we already talked about this, but cultural sensitivity. AI can be designed to be very culturally sensitive, taking into account their diverse backgrounds and the cultural nuances, um, which helps to uh, ensure interventions to be more respectful and relevant to individuals from different cultural contexts. You know, I, I um, did my schooling and my training in the United States and was trained um, through Western methods which I don't know if a lot of the assessments and treatment approaches were culturally sensitive, you know, and the research and database that was being used was mainly on um, white people. So I think AI will do a great job with the cultural sensitivity um, aspects of it. I also think um, one thing I also like about AI is the user empowerment. I think AI... Um, Like when you said, it's great for individuals to have something accessible and it can empower individuals to actively manage their mental health by providing tools for self-reflection, goal settings, and ongoing self-monitoring. And I think it's just going to create more sense of control and autonomy in their mental health journey.
0: Wow, those are some really amazing points. That's fantastic. Thank you for such a well-rounded answer what I loved was that cultural sensitivity because I can understand and relate to it.
1: And you brought up a very good point that, you know, um, there's a terminology we use in um, uh, therapy called therapy shopping. So it's very, very important to feel connected to your therapist and it's okay to see one and then change it to another one until you feel the right fit. Um, It's it's definitely for some people, you know, the first therapist they find, um, they feel connected and they're ready to go. And that's why it's, for me, it's very important. Uh, I do the, I told you the complimentary consultation sessions where where in 30 minutes, I want to make sure we are going to be a right fit. And um, if I will be able to help the individual um, reaching their goals and I think it's the same for the clients. It's important to interview the therapist and make sure it's the right fit. And it's okay if it's not the right fit and they could you know, go and explore more. So um, you brought up a very good point that is very important not to just seek out, but to make sure you are finding a therapist that you feel um, connected to.
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because I think the science behind this is that we tend to look up to that person, like that therapist, and just, you know, really find that safe place, which I guess we didn't find growing up. Because if somebody has a great childhood, and they're allowed to express all the different emotions, and make mistakes, but then be able to come back to their parents, um, and then they support and, you know, they're there for them, then I guess that is that is the childhood that would allow for full expression and not have any of those um, challenges like anxiety and depression and not necessarily that's only um you know because of that but then i think mostly it's because of your relationship with your parents or your childhood and all of that stuff so um the way that at least i understand um it gets eradicated or you know you get healed is not just by talking to somebody but also like confiding and having that safe place but then throwing light on that exact chain of events that led to you thinking in your head at that moment of of, of trauma that you know oh this happened so there must be something wrong or you know i don't belong or any one of those things i mean at least that's what my research uh, you showed me. I'm, I'm sure uh, you know it's it's very surface level, but um, that that is super uh, relatable to what you're describing. Like, of uh, you know, um, the need to find that right therapist that you could have that type of a relationship where you feel like you are um, communicating um, and and feeling like you're in you're in a place that's super safe and you could say whatever you want and you know you'll you'll be you won't be outcast and you, you would still belong. Absolutely. Well, great. Okay. Well, um, so in your teachings of counseling courses, what unique perspectives or innovations do you bring to your students and how has this influenced your professional development? Cause that's an important part of what you do also. Right.
1: Right. Um, I, uh, for your listeners, um, I I teach at a community college, and I also do um, counseling, which in community college, you will see all walks of life. And that's what I love working in a community college. You have um, an 18-year-old, a typical 18-year-old graduated from high school, and as trying to find his or her way to someone in their fifties as a reentry student students, trying to change fields. Um, uh, I recently had a 75 year old um, student who is taking French bistro classes at our community college. And, um, so, um, so that's why I, I love working in community college because you're constantly challenged to, um, understand, um, who is the person in front of you and try to come up with what would work best for them. It's not going to be one model fits everyone. And, um, and I try to customize my, um, teaching method, my counseling sessions to, to, you know, who my audience is. And, um, I think, uh, one thing that really helped me both, in my college experiences working as a faculty and a counselor and also in my private practice is to not let my assumptions, um, lead the way, no matter how much I have trainings, um, in anxiety or depression or working with couples or, you know, um, the Persian backgrounds, the Eastern backgrounds, etc., I try to put that all aside and be as open as possible. Um, when I meet with my, um, Clients and try to learn things um, through their eyes. And uh, I think my greatest teachers in life were my um, students and my clients where they constantly um, challenged me and helped me to be a better psychologist um, and a faculty member and a counselor. And not just um, in my therapy sessions, but same thing in my classroom it's very important for me to create a safe space. You touched base on that, that therapy, it's very vulnerable experience, and it's very important to be in a safe space in a non-judgmental environment. And I think that's also very, very important in educational environments that can have a very positive impact on learning when you create that safe space. I try to dedicate the first couple of sessions of my classwork, making sure I'm going to create a safe space that is um, supportive and an inclusive environment for my individuals. Um, I work with a lot of international students with a lot of students that are on F1 visa that um, obviously they're not from here. So creating that um, safe space can help them significantly with their um, uh, learning. So it helps them to feel more confident. It helps them with their emotional well-being. And um, it just helps them to be able to effectively communicate when um, there is a safe space. So um, I try to do that both in therapy sessions and in my classrooms.
0: Lovely, lovely. And I totally understand. I I love um, teaching myself as well, and I can uh, totally understand how that widens your horizons, right? I mean, right. more people you talk to, you understand different people from different walks of life, and you develop that non-judgmental, um, you know, perspective. Of course, and um, you know, you 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 mentioned that creating that safe place, and I think that is really the fundamental behind any good conversation. If you have safety. Then you're able to communicate with with confidence, and that's what you got to establish first. Even when you're having a little bit of a confrontational uh, conversation, like a crucial conversation, and okay. you know this concept of safety comes from that book, uh, Crucial Conversations. That, by the way, my therapist referred to me, and I read it, and it's one good. of my favorite books now. Yeah,
1: good. Um, and believe it, it or not, um, safe space and safe environment enhances creativity. You know, it, it helps does. the student or the client to be able to express themselves, it enhances creativity, it helps them to think outside of the box, um, share innovative ideas. And all of those things can't be not possible if you are in a not a safe environment. So it definitely helps them to explore creative solutions to their own problems. So um, and I think without it, it it just wouldn't be possible to be able to learn and be creative and um, feel safe and comfortable.
0: Lovely. Well, great. Um, So considering the evolving landscape of mental health, how can technology be leveraged to break down barriers and reduce that stigma associated with seeking help, especially in diverse and underserved communities like you know places where you and i come from i mean i know you're born here but maybe spent um, you know significant amount of time um you know going back to your country and then coming back here and then um you know getting some more education here and practicing and same thing for me i grew up in new delhi so how how do we um, minimize that that stigma associated with uh, seeking help i think you touched on that briefly earlier
1: um you know, I think technology, as what you brought up, can play a crucial role in breaking down barriers and reducing um, the stigma associated with um, seeking mental health. Um, help. Um, I think online mental health platforms, it creates a very user-friendly um, that uh, provides mental health resources. You mentioned BetterHelp. Again, there are lots of other um, services out there that can be very user friendly um, for individuals to seek out, um, get support, and um, be at the comfort of their homes. You know, like the client that I mentioned, um, she was able to get help because she was at the comfort uh, of, of her house, um, being able to work on what we were working on. And um, these platforms can include educational materials, self-help tools, um, confidential chat services. So if they're not ready to have what we are having right now, it could be through, um, chat services. Also, um, teletherapy and telepsychiatry can provide remote mental health consultations. Um, again, makes it more convenient for individuals to connect with mental health professionals and also to get their medications. They don't necessarily need to go to a physical location to see their doctor. I mean, they could um, see their psychiatrists online. I also think um, the mobile apps and um, lots of um, dig- digital mental well-being apps out there offers mental health assessments, mindfulness exercises, guided therapy sessions. It can empower individuals to actively manage their emotions. And um, we've talked about uh, the culturally tailored content you know, ensuring that mental health content is culturally sensitive and inclusive that can help um, address the unique challenges it's being faced by um, different communities. And, um, you know, and it, it's offered and available in multiple languages. And um, it's just um, going to make the services a lot more user-friendly. There are chatbots and AI-based supports now. And, you um, and yeah, so and I think another thing that I'm seeing a lot more is um, education and awareness campaigns, which it's being used through technology to um, create more awareness um, to educate the public. I see a lot more parents and uh, moms and dads, you know, um, providing information about um, if they're having kids with autism or developmental um, issues or cognitively, um, you know, um, issues that uh, that um, their childs are being experiencing um, through social media, podcasts, video contents can that can be um, powerful tools. And also, you touch based it yourself as well. It's becoming more affordable and accessible, which also helps um, individuals with financial barriers to be able to um, seek out.
0: Totally. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, no, that's an important thing. The, the, the stigma associated with seeking help needs to go away. And I think whatever we can do on social media, on uh, through education, spreading awareness, it, it just becomes really important and technology can play a huge role. Well, great. Um, well, last but not least, I guess, um, moving along 2024, can't believe we're here already Uh, You know, going into 2025, what emerging trends do you foresee in in the coming years, particularly within uh, mental health space? And how might these trends shape the future of clinical psychology and therapy? So what emerging trends do you foresee in the coming years, particularly within your niche? And how might these trends shape the future of clinical psychology and therapy?
1: Um, I think the use of teletherapy and digital mental health platforms, such as um, soul therapy and coaching, is likely to continue growing. Um, this trend has been accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, making mental health services more accessible and convenient. I also think it will be more personalized way of receiving mental health, which is going to advance um, technology and neuroscience which is going to lead to more personalized approaches to mental health treatment, tailoring interventions based on individual specific needs. Um, I'm thinking even their genetics, their brain functions could become more common. I think AI applications in mental health, such as chatbots, virtual therapists, um, protective analytics um, will become more sophisticated. And these tools could lead in early um, detection, monitoring, treatment planning. Um, I also think AI will recognize um, the holistic approach and the interconnectedness of mental health and our physical health, which may lead to be more holistic um, treatment approaches. Um, I think um, this will address both mental and physical well-being um, such as mindfulness based interventions um, etc. And we've already talked about the cultural competency. There is a growing awareness of the needs for cultural competent mental health care. I think therapists may receive more training or might need to receive more training and understanding and addressing diverse cultural backgrounds, experiences, and identities. I also think um, it will help with preventive methods. So emphasis on preventive measures, early interventions to address mental health concerns um, before they escalate and become more prevalent. I think this could involve educational programs, workplace initiatives, and community-based interventions. And um, again, I think these trends could significantly shape the future landscape of clinical psychology and therapy. Um, However, it's essential to approach these developments with Um, ethical considerations and ensuring that technology and innovations um, enhance rather than replace the human aspects of mental health care.
0: Totally, totally. I think um, no way is AI going to replace uh, the therapist. They can, um, of course, increase the level of service, of course, by educating and creating more therapists or others that are just AI-based for democratizing it because everybody needs a therapist. And no, this is great. And those are some fantastic trends. Well, Dr. Ladi, thank you so much for sharing such an amazing, insightful um, conversation with me, for sharing these stories and uh, sharing your experience.
1: Thank you for having me. I truly enjoyed this. And um, thank you.
0: Thank you. Me too. Bye.